Satan or a snake. The latter biblical canon reflects the influence of ISIS. For centuries, Zoroastrian served as <coughs> Iranian's national This is Sumerian Mysteries documentary Noah and Gilgamesh reveal Anunnaki mythology. With the decline of the Sassanid Empire in the 7th century, Islam further marginalized it. The new state religion in Persia is Allah's Islam instead of Ahura Mazda's Zoroastrianism. It was not long before the Enlilites rooted the remnants of their nemesis, Enkiites, from Mesopotamia after the Mesopotamian territory had been assigned to Enlil. Various Middle Eastern countries, including Iran, Turkey, and Syria, display crescent moon adorned flags, showing that Enlilites are gaining strength. As the Chaldean dynasty took over much of their northern relatives' empire, Babylon enjoyed a brief but influential period of power and influence. The last king of Babylon, the Assyrian-born Nabonidus, paid scant attention to politics, preferring to obsess over the worship of the moon god and leaving the day-to-day -day administration for his son, Belshazzar, who Allah be Nanar Sin, Enlil's son, and thus the god of the crescent moon. Since the Mesopotamian territory belonged to the Enlil, his descendants, including the moon god Nanar, would have been welcomed there. In 3760 BCE, Nanar was also a member of the Council of the Anunnaki. He is the one who led the Ijigai Miners' Rebellion in Africa under Enlil's supervision, as evidenced in the Atrahasis. According to historical sources, Nanar Sin's cult centers were prolific in southern Iraq to Syria, Turkey, and Iran. One of the most sacred centers of Islam is Mecca, Saudi Arabia, and the Kaaba stone was initially dedicated to Allah, the moon god. Nanar Sin might be the god Muhammad met in the wilderness. Was Nanar Sin Allah? Let us recall what Atrahasis says. Atrahasis' tablet, when Allah made his voice heard, he spoke to his brother's gods. We must carry Elil. From his dwelling, the counselor of gods, the warrior, cry battle now. After hearing his speech, the gods set fire to their tools. They put aside their spades of fire, their loads for the fire god, and they flared up. According to the author, Allah leads the rebellion to his father's residence, Enlil. Ijigai miners were stirred up by his fiery rhetoric. It mirrors the behavior of the followers of Jihad in the Middle East, with spiritual leaders encouraging warlike activities from followers affiliated with the moon god, Allah. Ninar, also known as Sin, was the moon god, son of Enlil and Ninlil, father of Utu, sun god, and Inanna. According to genealogy tables and Sumerian records, Enlil had Nanar's Sin's son on the Anunnaki council. This book aims not to prove that Allah, referred to in the Atrahasis, is the same god worshipped by Muslims today. However, it would be an exciting research project for those inclined to seek the truth. What would the results of such a study be like today? After learning that Enlil was the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the god who killed the enslaved people of Mesopotamia, and the god who created the great flood to wipe out all the Nephilim on earth. Mankind lived in paradise for a long time. God said to unnamed colleagues, Is it possible that he may also take from the tree of life and live forever? Having eaten the fruit of knowledge, but forbidden from reaching for the fruit of the tree of life. Following Adam's eating of the fruit of knowledge. Since then, man has sought immortality withheld by God. Yet, throughout the millennia, it has gone unnoticed that while concerning Yahweh's tree of knowing, Adam became a part of us after eating it. No such statement has been made regarding from the fruit of the tree of life we can live forever.
was it because the promise of immortality made to mankind as a distinctive attribute of the gods was nothing more than a grand illusion. The king of Uruk, Ogamesh, son of Ninsun and Lugobanda, was the first to try and find out. While the tales of Enmeka and Lugobanda are enchanting and intriguing, the post-diluvial Luga has to be one of the most compelling. Gilgamesh was the demigod who ruled Uruk from 2750 to 2600 BCE, and had the longest and most detailed records. Throughout Gilgamesh's long epic, he searches for immortality, believing that since two-thirds of him are gods and one-third are humans, he should not peer over the wall as a mortal. Genealogically, he was more than just a demigod, more than a 50-50 god. King Lugobanda, son of Lenana and high priest of Uruk, possessed the divine determinative. Gilgamesh was described as having the essence of Ninurta, Enlil's foremost son, because of his mother, Nin. Sun, lady who irrigates, was the daughter of Ninurta and his spouse, Batu. Anu's youngest daughter, Bau, was of a noble family. Gilgamesh's genealogy was not complete. Scholars have called Utu Shamash Gilgamesh's godfather since he was born in the presence of Utu, twin brother of Inanna and grandson of Enlil. Moreover, Gish Bilgamesh, his full theophoric name, was also welcomed by the Enkiites because it linked him to Gerbil, a son of Enki and the god of metal foundries. According to a version of the epic of Gilgamesh in Hittite, he was lofty and endowed with a superhuman size. Attributes undoubtedly inherited not but from the mother, since Ninsun's mother, the goddess Bao, was true to her nickname, Gula, plain and simple, the big one. Several gods had gifted him with talents and prowess. Tall, muscular and shapely, Gilgamesh had been compared to a wild bull. Bold and untamed in spirit, he constantly wrestled with the city's youths, which he always won. After Gilgamesh started to demand first rites with brides on their wedding night, the city's elders appealed to the gods to stop him from leaving no maiden alone. Enki Du and Enki Created, Gilgamesh's double, was designed to walk in the shadow of Gilgamesh and force him to change his ways. The city's elders realize they have an uncouth primitive who eats raw food and is friends with animals, so they place him outside of town with a harlot to learn the ways of man. She also cleaned and clothed him and curled his hair, so that when he finally entered the town, he looked just like Gilgamesh. In response to an incredulous Gilgamesh's wrestling call, Enkidu wrestled him down and taught him humility. They became inseparable comrades. Gilgamesh began to ponder the questions of aging and life and death after losing his haughtiness and prowess. In my city, man dies. My heart is oppressed. Man perishes. My heart is heavy. Godfather, Gilgamesh told Utu, Will I also peer over the wall? Will my fate be like this? he asked. His mentor's response did not encourage him. 
What's the point of roving about, Gilgamesh? The life that you seek will not be found. God created mankind, but he left it in a state of sin. Mankind was assigned death, and enduring life they kept for themselves. Utu Shamash advised Gilgamesh to live day by day and enjoy life, but many dreams and omens convinced him that he could avoid the end of a mortal if he joined the gods in their heavenly abode. Enkidu, he learned, knew how to reach the Anunnaki landing place in the Cedar Forest, a great platform with a launch tower that served as the earth terminal for the Igigi. Igigi took Gilgamesh aloft from there, and Gilgamesh asked his mother for advice and help. When Enkidu warned Gilgamesh of the monster Huwawa guarding the place, and told Gilgamesh that only gods can scale the heavens, and only gods live forever under the sun, Gilgamesh replied with words that still resonate today. In the case of mankind, their days are numbered. Whatever they achieve is but a fleeting wind. I will go there first. I urge you to shout, Advance, fear not, and should I fall, please help me up. A name will have been given to me. Their response will be Gilgamesh. Huwawa has been defeated against fierce opposition. Seeing that Gilgamesh was undeterred, Ninsun, his mother, pleaded with Utu Shamash to give Gilgamesh extra protection. Ninsun was wise, and wise in all ways, and she was also practical. She made Enkidu swear that he would protect Gilgamesh bodily. To ensure his loyalty, she gave him an offer that no one could ever. Phone charging slowly? This is the fastest phone charger on the market. There's a 90% chance your phone is already affected with this. To ever refuse. A goddess with a young wife. Tablet 4, line 5, partly damaged. In the epic, Insun discusses which one of his daughters should be the bride with Aya, the spouse of Um Shamash. By the time Gilgamesh and Nenkidu arrived at Cedar Mountain, Utu Shamash had given them divine sandals that enabled them to reach the mountain in a fraction of the time, and they began their adventure. Despite the lack of a map alongside the ancient text, it is clear where the comrades were heading. There is only one cedar forest in the Near East and Asia, in the mountains of Lebanon where the god's landing place was located. While reaching the mountain range, the comrades were awed by the majestic cedar trees, and camped for the night at the foot of the forest. However, during the night, Gilgamesh was awoken by the shaking of the ground, and was able to see a sky chamber taking off. The vision that Gilgamesh saw was truly awesome. Though the sun was rising, darkness descended, flames erupted, it rained death as the sky swelled. All that was fallen turned to ashes as the glow of the fire faded. As Gilgamesh saw and heard the rocket ship launch, he knew they had reached the landing place of the gods. At dawn, the comrades sought the entrance, making sure not to walk through. Weapon trees that kill. Coin from a much later time shows the site with a rocket on the platform. Enkidu found the gate, but was thrown back when he attempted to open it. He lay paralyzed for twelve days. As soon as he could speak and move again, 
he begged Gilgamesh to give up trying to open the gate. Gilgamesh had good news, however. He had found a tunnel while Enkidu was immobilized. It might take him straight to the command center of the Anunnaki. The tunnel seemed to be the best way for Enkidu to chat. Trees and bushes overgrew the tunnel entrance, blocked by soil and rocks. As the comrades began to get rid of everything, the guardian of the place, Huawa, became angry when he heard the sounds. He had the teeth of a dragon, the face of a lion, and came as a flood. His most fearsome feature was his radiant beam, emanating from his forehead. This devoured trees and bushes. None could escape its fatal. The comrades had no way out when Utu Shamash spoke to Chen. The king told them not to run away from Huawa. Instead, let him get close to them and throw dust at him. Following the advice of the comrades, Huawa was immobilized. The monster was knocked to the ground by Enkidu. Enkidu then put to death the beast. Having gained access to the secret abode of the Anunnaki, the companions relaxed and savored their victory. Taking a bath and refreshing himself, Gilgamesh took off his cloak by the stream. They were unaware that the goddess Inanna was watching the entire event from her sky chamber. Inanna was attracted to the king's powerful physique as she addressed him. Become my lover, Gilgamesh. Please give me the fruits of your love. I'll take you as my man. You shall have me as your wife. Gilgamesh was sure that Inanna would entice him with offers of a golden chariot, a magnificent palace, and lordship over other kings and princes. But he reminded her that what she promised him, a goddess, was nothing, and that as to love, where did her former lovers end? Gilgamesh describes how Inanna tossed them away, one after another, as if a shoe pinching its owner's foot. The bull of Anu, the bull of heaven, who roamed in the cedar mountain, occurred to Gilgamesh to insult her. Inanna was angry at being rebuffed. She complained to Anu and asked him to let loose on the bull. Inanna insisted that Anu let the beast open, despite warnings from Anu that its release would lead to seven years of famine. As Gilgamesh and Enkidu fled, they forgot about the tunnel and landing place. They covered a distance of one month and fifteen days in three days using Utu's sandals. Gilgamesh rushed to Uruk to mobilize the fighting force. Enkidu faced the monster outside the city walls. Hundreds of fighters fell into a pit when the Bull of Heaven snorted. As the Bull of Heaven turned to face Enkidu, he struck it from behind, killing it. Inanna to Anu initially remained speechless, demanding that the slayers of Huawa and the Bull of Heaven be put on trial. The cylinder seal depicts an ancient artist depicting Enkidu gloating over the slain bull of heaven, and a winged disc symbolizes Inanna addressing Gilgamesh. The gods' views differed after deliberating. Enlil said that Gilgamesh did not kill Enkidu, only let him die. He let both Enkidu and Gilgamesh die after he had slain Huwawa and the bull of heaven. Utu said no one should die because his comrades were attacked by the monsters. The land of mines was the punishment for Enkidu. Gilgamesh was spared. 
Ogamesh did not give up on his quest for the celestial abode, even though his attempt at the Cedar Forest had failed. New landing and takeoff facilities were constructed in the sacred fourth region of Pi Mun, base stroke land for missiles, in the Sinai Peninsula to replace those destroyed by the deluge. As part of the grand plan, the pre-diluvial landing platform was created in the Lebanon mountains. Two great pyramids were built in Egypt as guidance beacons, and a new mission control center was built in Jerusalem. In addition to the landing place in the north, the spaceport was where the gods ascend and descend. Ilmun was a forbidden zone for mortals, but Gilgamesh thought he might be exempt from the prohibition because Utnapishtim, Ziosudra, the person who is famous for the deluge, was taken there. A second attempt at immortality was conceived by Gilgamesh due to his plan. To avoid losing Enkidu, Gilgamesh came up with an idea. Let him sail to the land of mines while en route to Tilman, and he will drop Enkidu off there. Insun appealed once more, and Utu once again gave grudging assistance. So it was, as their ship made its way through the narrow strait leading out of the Persian Gulf. The method to growing your tool by 64% in a matter of weeks can be found in your kitchen. Are you afraid your tiny buddy down there isn't long or thick enough for your tool? Uh -huh. Don't worry. With this German kitchen ritual being out of the Persian Gulf, now called the Gulf of Oman, but the comrades were still alive and together. There was a watchtower on the shore at the Narrows. Using a beam similar to Huawa's, a watchman questioned them. Uneasy, Enkidu cried, Let's return. Gilgamesh replied, Onward. The ship's sails were torn and overturned by a sudden wind hurled by the watchman's beam. Enkidu's floating body was discovered by Gilgamesh in the still darkness of the depths, and he dragged it to shore, hoping for a miracle. Until a worm was coming out of Enkidu's nostrils, he sat by his fallen comrade and mourned him day and night. Gilgamesh wandered aimlessly through the wilderness, alone, lost, and despondent. When I die, shall I not be as Enkidu? he asked. After making the decision, his self-confidence returned, and he turned to Utnapishtim, son of Ubatutu. He kept heading west, guided by the sun. The moon god, Nana Sin, taught him at night. In one instance, Gilgamesh grappled with two desert lions with his bare hands while reaching a mountain pass. The pass was the habitat of desert lions. With their skins he clothed himself, eating their flesh as raw meat. In a low-lying area outside the city, Gilgamesh spotted an inn, and he began walking toward it. As he approached, Siduri, the alewoman, made a bowl of porridge. But when he wore skins and a lean belly, she was frightened. After a while, she believed that he was a famous king searching for his long-lost ancestor. Now, hail woman, Gilgamesh asked, what is Utnapishtim? He said it was beyond the Salt Sea. I have never seen a crossing, Gilgamesh, as early as the dawn of time. Only Shamash, a violent warrior, crossed the sea. The crossing was painful. The waters of death that surround it are barren. The path to them is desolate. 
Gilgamesh, how are you going to cross the sea? Gilgamesh remained silent without an answer. Tiduri continued speaking. A boatman named Ushanabi comes across from time to time to bring supplies to Utnapishtim from the sea. Just let him see your face. He might be willing to take you across on a log raft. Gilgamesh had to tell him the whole story of his search for immortality, the adventures at the landing place, Enkidu's death, and his wanderings in the wilderness, ending with his encounter with the alewoman, omitting nothing. Like the alewoman, he too was unable to believe Gilgamesh that he had once been the king of Uruk. In order to come and see Utnapishtim, whom they call the far away, he wandered across the lands, crossed the mountains, and crossed the seas. A boatman eventually convinced him to proceed in the direction of the great sea, which is far away. But he had to take a turn when he reached two stone markers, and go to a town called Uluya, in the Hittite version, for permission before continuing to Mount Marshall. In following the directions, but without spending much time in Uluya, Gilgamesh proceeded to Mount Marshu, discovering that it was more than a mountain. Rocket men guard its entrance. The terror in their eyes is unimaginable. They sweep the mountains with their glaring beams. As Shamash ascends and descends, they watch over him. The illustrations prove it. Upon seeing them, Gilgamesh's face darkened in fear. Gilgamesh was just as surprised as the guards as the rocket moor beam swept over him with no apparent effect. As he watched, he called out to his fellow guard, The man coming towards us is the flesh of the gods. Two-thirds of him were gods, and one-third were a human. We need to know the reason for your visit, they asked Gilgamesh, regaining his composure and approaching them. The question of death and life was something Gilgamesh wished to ask his forefather Utnapishtim who took part in the assembly of the gods. Having told him about Mount Mashu and the underground passageway, the rocket man said, There has never been a mortal who achieved that. There have never been travellers on the mountain's trail. For twelve leagues its interior extends. Darkness is dense, and light does not exist. But Gilgamesh was not deterred, and the rocket man could pass through the gate. After advancing in the tunnel in darkness for twelve double hours, Gilgamesh felt a fresh air breeze only at the ninth hour. A faint light appeared in the eleventh hour. After that, he stepped out into bright sunlight and saw an incredible sight, an enclosure of the gods with a garden made entirely of precious stones. Among its fruits are carnelians, and among its vines are beautiful sights. Lapis lazuli is used for its foliage. Of stones are made grapes that are too luscious to look at. It is made from white stones. Reeds made of sasso stones are found in it. Water stones are made similarly to trees of life and trees of hongu. As the description continues, Gilgamesh was found in an artificial garden of Eden, composed entirely of precious stones. He marvelled at the sight when he saw the man he had been searching for, the one of the far away. Gazing upon his ancestor from millennia ago, Gilgamesh said these words, 
seeing thee, Utnapishtim, I see no difference between thee and me. I am you as well, even as I am you. After describing Utnapishtim's search for life and Denkidu's death, he then said, I would like to know, when in thy search for life, how did you come into contact with the congregation of the gods? Well, according to Utnapishtim, it was not as simple as that. Here's how it went, he said. The Anunnaki, the great gods, once gathered. A maker of fate, Bamatum. With them, fate decided, Shurupak, a city you are familiar with, a city on the Euphrates. The city as well as the gods within it were ancient. The lord of pure foresight, Ea, was with the great gods when their hearts led to the deluge. The following words were repeated to me through the reed wall. Man of Shurupak, son of Ubatutu, demolish the house and build a ship. Live for the present, not for the future. Take the seeds of everything that lives aboard the ship. Utnapishtim described a ship to Gilgamesh and its measurements, and told him that Shurupak's people helped build it because they were told that their god would be rid of his who was fighting Enlil. Utnapishtim recounts the whole story of the deluge in which Enlil discovers Ea, Enki's duplicity, and how Enlil, changing his mind, blesses Utnapishtim and his wife to live the life of the gods, as we stand together. Our foreheads were blessed by him. Utnapishtim has been human so far. From now on, he and his wife will be gods. It is far away that Utnapishtim will reside at the mouth of the water streams. Utnapishtim then asks Gilgamesh, Who shall gather the gods for the sake of thy sake, so that the life that thou seekest may... Phone charging slowly. This is the fastest phone charger on the market. There's a 90% chance your phone is already affected with this. There's a new groundbreaking discovery that's reversing planned obsolescence. And smartphone companies are trying their hardest to make it illegal in the U.S. Rather than spending $1,200 to $1,800 on a brand new smartphone every year, this $37 device is the best and most cost-effective way to turn your slow smartphone into a lightning-fast handheld supercomputer that will last a lifetime. The gadget uses extremely advanced AI technology that overrides your smartphone's operating system, making any slow loading times completely disappear from your phone. The charger is equipped with revolutionary QC 3.0 technology, which is four times faster than traditional chargers, charging a depleted battery from 1% to 100% in just 11 minutes making one full charge unlock the true potential of the battery, allowing it to last up to 56 hours. This device distributes power-hungry apps like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc. to a more energy-efficient flow, tripling your device's performance and extending the battery life. What's interesting about this product is that it was developed by my team and I. I was actually present at the biggest smartphone company in the world. <coughs> Gilgamesh, who shall gather the gods for the sake of thy sake, so that the life that thou seekest may be found by thee? At that moment, Gilgamesh fainted, lost consciousness, and collapsed. 
realizing that his search for eternal life was in vain, as only the gods in assembly were able to grant eternal life. But Nefishtim and his wife stayed awake for six days and seven nights as Gilgamesh slept. Gilgamesh awoke and was bathed and dressed in clean clothes by Ushanabi, who helped him return to his city. Gilgamesh was about to leave empty-handed when Utnapishtim stepped forward, pitying him as he did. What shall I give thee as you return to thy land? He had a secret of the gods to give him. Gilgamesh, I address you. I'll reveal a secret. I will tell thee a god's secret. As with the buckthorn, its root is a plant. There are thorns like those on a briar vine. You will have pricked hands, but if thy hands obtain the plant, thou shalt find new life. Gilgamesh was shown where the rejuvenating plant grew, according to Utnapishtim. Gilgamesh opened the water pipe as soon as he heard this message. He tied heavy stones to his feet and plunged to his knees. Seeing the plant, he grabbed it, cutting the stones from his feet. He was cast up by the shore of the well. Overjoyed, Gilgamesh spilled his future plans to the boatman, Ushanabi, while holding the rejuvenating plant, a scene that may have been depicted on an Assyrian monument. There is a plant here unlike any other, Ushanabi, with which a man can regain his life's breath. The ramparts of Uruk will receive it. To become young in old age, I will cause you to eat the plant. Man becomes young in old age. It shall have the following name. I will eat from it myself. My youthful state will return to me. Ulgamesh was confident he had accomplished his goal, so he set out to return to Uruk with Ushanabi. After twenty leagues, Ilgamesh and Ushanabi stopped for a meal. After another thirty miles, they saw a well and stopped for the night. Filling with rejuvenation, Gilgamesh put down the bag with the unique plant to take a refreshing swim, but while he wasn't looking, it began to bloom. The serpent smelled the plant's scent. The plant was carried away from the water by it. Gilgamesh wept as he sat down. Tears ran down his cheeks. Gilgamesh the demigod cried, knowing that fate had robbed him of success once again. One believes that mankind has called ever since, for this was the greatest irony of all. The serpent invited mankind to eat the forbidden fruit without fear of death, but it was the serpent who deprived man of the fruit of not dying. Again, was this a metaphor for Enki? The Sumerian king list states that Gilgamesh ruled for 126 years before his son, called Uruluga, succeeded him on the throne. His death was even more mysterious when it came to his burial, as his life was a puzzle. Even if man is partly God, does that mean he is exempt from mortality? His death leaves unanswered this central theme of his tragic story. In ancient times, from Gilgamesh in the 3rd millennium BC up to Alexander the Great, 4th century BC, and to Ponce de Leon, searching for the Fountain of Youth in the 16th century AD, people have striven to avoid, or at least postpone, death. Is this universal and ongoing quest contradictory to what man's creators intended? 
Is there any evidence that the gods intentionally denied immortality to man in the cuneiform texts and in the Bible? The Epic of Gilgamesh gives the following answer, which amounts to a yes. Creating mankind, death for man, the gods allotted everlasting life to themselves, which they kept. When Gilgamesh began to learn about life and death matters, his godfather, Utu Shamash, told him about it. And again, after Gilgamesh told Utnapishtim the purpose of his journey, it's a pointless man who cannot escape his mortality, as the whole long tale of Gilgamesh suggests. In rereading the tale, however, the apparent irony in the evident answer is that Gilgamesh's mother told him the way to become immortal was to join the gods on their planet. Then it makes sense why the same Utu Shamash who sent Forgetit then helped Gilgamesh twice, he tried to ascend and descend the rocket ships. During Gilgamesh's lifetime, the gods told him a secret. Right here on Earth, we have a rejuvenating plant of life. This raises the question of whether the gods themselves were also immortals. Were they also nourished with such a nutrient? In ancient Egypt, the pharaohs believed that they would live forever if they joined the gods on the planet of millions of years. Elaborate preparations were made to facilitate the pharaoh's journey after he died. The king travelled to the Duat in the Sinai Peninsula, beginning with the exit by his car, a kind of afterlife alter ego, from his tomb via a simulated door. A trip to space awaits them there. The Book of the Dead describes underground facilities, rocket pilots, and the breathtaking liftoff of such an underground facility in the Sinai, based on a tomb depiction showing a multi-stage rocket ship similar to the Sumerian Din Gear symbol. However, the trip was not just to reside on the gods' planet. An ancient Egyptian incantation urged the gods to take this king with them so that he might eat what you eat, drink what you drink, and live on the land you live on. Give Pepi the tree of life on which you are sustained, was the appeal in the pyramid of King Pepi, which was painted on its walls in bright colours. The colourful drawing on the walls showed the king, accompanied by his wife, arriving in the afterlife at the celestial paradise, and sipping the water of life, out of which there grows the tree of life. Egyptian representations of the gods' food and water of life are reminiscent of Mesopotamian descriptions of winged gods. Eagleman, flanking the tree of life with a pail of water of life in one hand and the fruit of life in the other. The same notions underlying these depictions are based on Hindu tales of the Soma, a plant from the heavens, whose leaves juice conferred inspiration, vitality and immortality on those who ate it. All this seems by the biblical take on the subject, which is best known from the tale of the two particular trees in the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowing and the tree of life, whose fruit could make Adam live forever, but notes that a divine effort was made to keep man from eating that fruit. To prevent the earthlings from regaining access to the tree of life, God expelled man from Eden, lest he try and placed the cherubim and a flaming sword at the east of the Garden of Eden, guarding the way to the Tree of Life.
Sumerian tale of Adapa depicts the creator trying to prevent man from having divine nourishment. Here we see the creator of man himself, Enki, feeding his own earthling son Adapa as follows. The method to growing your tool by 64% in a matter of weeks can be found in your kitchen. Are you afraid your tiny buddy down there isn't long or thick enough for your lady? Don't worry. With this German kitchen ritual that you can make in your kitchen, you can grow your tool by three, five, or even eight more inches in a matter of weeks. If you're happy with the size of your tool, skip this video. My husband Bob is 58 years old and is now just over eight inches. Before he was only 3.5 and he was ashamed to have segs with me and I won't lie, size matters to most women. With this German kitchen ritual I make for him every morning, it activates a chemical reaction in his bloodstream that stretches his tiny buddy each day. He takes the German kitchen ritual every morning at 7 a.m. and it makes him long and thick like the male adult film stars. It's natural and safe, easy to make, and works for any man over 50. Plus, people don't even know he uses it. Dennis, 57 from Michigan said, this German kitchen ritual helped me grow from three inches to over seven. It was unreal. My wife can't get enough of me, and it was so easy to use. Joe from Vermont claims, thanks to this German kitchen ritual, I was able to revive my marriage. My tiny buddy used to be under four, but is now a strong eight. I feel like the man of the house again. Eric from Oklahoma adds, in addition to getting hard again for the first time in two years, this German kitchen ritual helped my buddy down there grow in both length and girth. And since my divorce, I now have a hotter 24-year-old Japanese girlfriend. I've prepared a quick video presentation showing you how to prepare this German kitchen ritual at home, or you can make it anywhere you go, because it's very discreet. Tap the Watch Now button below to watch the quick video presentation I've prepared for you that explains how to make this German kitchen ritual at home. Remember, this change Enki defeating his own earthling son Adapa as follows. The wisdom he had given him, he perfected his understanding. <coughs> Knowledge had been given to him. He hadn't given him his last life. Then Enki puts his own efforts to the test. Adapa, the child he has with an earthling woman invited to Nibiru by Anu, is offered the food of life and the water of life, but he is warned to avoid them since both are fatal to him. The warning God gave Adam and Eve that eating the fruit of the tree of knowing would result in death turned out to be false. Would Adam also have lived forever if he had eaten from the tree of life? What if God is only concerned with the possibility of their death, but not their death risks? means, and he ate and lived for Olam. It is also possible for Olam to refer to a geographical place, in which case it is translated as world. In this context, Olam is the Hebrew name for Nibiru, which is also the Hebrew name for the longevity place. God was afraid that Adam would acquire Nibiru's life cycle if he ate from the tree of life. Everlasting life was deliberately withheld from him when man was created. So Enki tricks Adapa into not receiving the divine nourishments. There is no doubt that a food of life exists, but it is not immortality, but lasting life, longevity, deliberately withheld from the human race. Although they may have similar short-term results, they aren't the same. How long was life of Olam? Life on Nibiru, an eternal, immortal existence, 
or simply a great longevity that on Nibiru is measured in Shire units 3,600 times longer than Earth's life. We first learned that gods, or even demigods, were immortals through Greek mythology. The discovery of Canaanite myths of Ugarit on Syria's Mediterranean coast in the late 1920s revealed where these myths came from, Canaanites. However, the Anunnaki didn't state that they would never die in Mesopotamia. Ibiru's listing of earlier generations says, Those were our ancestors who have passed away. Tammuz, the anniversary month of Dumuzi, commemorates the death of Dumuzi recorded and mourned death, even in Jerusalem at the time of the prophet Ezekiel. Among the punishments for their crimes, Lalu was sentenced to die in exile. Anzu was executed. Osiris was killed and dismembered by Seth. God Horus died from a scorpion sting, was resurrected by Thoth. When Inanna entered the lower world without permission, she was seized and killed, but later revived by Enki. The Anunnaki did not claim immortality, nor did they claim to be immortal. There was a false sense of immortality created by extreme longevity. As a result, Ninsun encouraged Gilgamesh to go to Nibiru to gain the life of a god, and not just nourish himself with Nibiru's unique nutrients. Otherwise, what purpose did Ninsun have in encouraging him to go there first? Modern science should contemplate an interesting question. Is the extended life cycle longevity on Nibiru, or anywhere else in the universe, an acquired trait, or an evolutionary genetic adaptation? According to the statement associated with Adapa, Enki deliberately excluded a gene, or genes, associated with longevity from the human genome when the genes were mixed. Can it be found? That a key to unlocking these genetic secrets might be available is where our search for gods and demigods is leading. Life Spelling Translations of the Hebrew Bible by the King James Version and those who followed have sought to evoke in the creation stages described in Genesis a sense of divine spirit, a sense of awe in a creator of all. Nibiru stroke Marduk's wind satellites, the Elohim, breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils and gave him a soul. The spirit of God hovered over the dark chaos. In this book, we have stopped to clarify misconceptions caused by mistranslations and identify instances where the Hebrew is the literal translation of a Sumerian word, helping define the verses word by word. Samuel Noah Kramer an eminent Sumerian scholar pointed out that in the tale of creating Eve from Adam's rib, Selah in Hebrew, the Sumerian word ti actually meant life, as in nin ti, lady life. What was done was to extract the life, DNA, from Adam and manipulate it to produce a female genetic line. When one reads the actual Sumerian text used by Ziusudra to describe Enlil's gift to Gilgamesh, the following instances spring to mind. How are T and Z different? Life is usually translated as these two Sumerian words. 
E represents the physical aspects of God, while Z represents the functioning of life. The Sumerian adds Dari, duration, to Z to make his point more precise. In addition to physical attributes of godliness, Ziyasudra was gifted with durability. Usually, the two lines are translated as life like a god he creates for him, a soul like a god he gives him. This is a masterful translation, but it does not capture the exact meaning of the Sumerian writer's skillful play of words, using T just once and Z as in Ziyasudra later on. Ziyasudra's life now had durability instead of a soul. 13. Goddess of Dawn Bring me to you, Gilgamesh. Few other words can sum up the unintended consequences of the post-diluvial relationship between gods and humans as those spoken by Inanna. As the Anunnaki realized they could simply pick up all the gold they needed in the Andes, staying in the Old Lands was unnecessary. Ziyasudra claims that Enlil changed his mind about wiping mankind off the face of the earth when he smelled the aroma of roasting meat, the thanksgiving sacrifice of a lamb presented by Ziyasudra. However, the change of heart happened as soon as the scope of the disaster became clear to the Anunnaki leadership. The gods cruised around the earth in their aircraft and shuttlecraft as the avalanche of water swept everything away below. The gods cowered like dogs, and the Anunnaki sat thirsty against the wall. In hunger, Ishtar cried out as a woman in labor. The Anunnaki wept with her. Alas, the old days have turned to clay. Inmar was most affected. I don't know why. When she saw, the goddess wept. Her lips were covered in fever. They looked like flies to her. The rivers are filled with them like dragonflies. A rolling sea took away their fatherhood. Enlil was shocked to discover the survival of Noah when the tidal wave retreated. Mount Ararat reappeared from the endless sea, and the Anunnaki began bringing their craft down. The long verses relate the accusations made against Enki as soon as his duplicity was revealed and his defense. There are also long verses that tell of Ninmar's vehement reprimand to Enlil for his let's wipe them off policy. They were created, now they're our responsibility. Enlil changed his mind after talking with her, plus the realities of the situation. Shakespearean Ninmar had played significant roles in the affairs of gods and men before the deluge, and she did so afterward too, though in a different manner. Her mother, Anu, caused her two half-brothers to fall in love, resulting in one of them having an out-of-wedlock child, Ninurta, by Enlil, after she was prevented from marrying her beloved Enki. Her significance was that she was granted one of the first five pre-diluvial cities, Shurafak, that ultimately created Ameluti workmen for them, earning her the titles Ninti, Mami, Nintua, and many others. She saw that her creatures had turned to clay, so she screamed at Enlil. As a result, she arbitrated between the rival half-brothers. With the respect of both sides, she negotiated the terms of peace that ended the Pyramid Wars and received the sacred fourth region, 
the Sinai Peninsula with its spaceport as neutral territory. She is described in a long text as having been given a comfortable residence by her son Ninurta amid the mountains of the Sinai Peninsula, resulting in her Sumerian name, Ninhasag, Lady Stroke Mistress of Mountain Peak, and the Egyptian epithet, Mr. Mokwa, Goddess of Turquoise, or Mokwa, meaning Mistress of the Turquoise. Egypt worshipped her as Hathor, literally the abode of Horus, and in older age she earned the nickname the Cow, both in Sumer and in Egypt, for her claim to be responsible for breastfeeding the gods. However, no matter what title was used for her, it was always reserved for her. She never married the original maiden of the zodiacal constellation we call Virgo, but in addition to her son, due to their lovemaking on the banks of Nile, several daughters by Enki were born on Earth. The tale, which has been misnomered a paradise myth, ends with Ninhursag and Enki engaged in matchmaking, pairing off young goddesses with Enkiite males. Prominent among them were spouses chosen for Ningish Zida, Enki's science knowing son, and for Nabu, Marduk's son. Mighty matchmaking feats to be sure. But as we shall see, not the last of Ninhasak's power links and string pullings through births and marriages, in which she was joined by her younger sister, the goddess Bao, and by Bao's daughter, Nin Sun. One of the Anunnaki great gods was Bao, who came from Nibiru. Her spouse was Ninurta making her a daughter-in-law of Ninhursan. Still, Bao herself was Anu's youngest daughter. Nonetheless, these connections served as a bond between the two goddesses, especially since Bao also gained a reputation as a medical doctor credited in several tales with bringing back the dead. Ninurta was given a sacred precinct built by King Gudea, king of Lagash, in which she and Ninurta settled. The idea of caring for the people, and not for gods, is a unique aspect of the love for humankind that Bao picked up from Ninhursan. Affectionately known by her nickname Gula, the Big One, she was invoked in prayers as Gula, the Great Physician, and in incursions was asked to put illness and unhealing sores on an adversary. Whatever the case, her nickname accurately reflected her size. Unlike Ninma, who was always a bridesmaid but never a bride, Nin Sun was always a bride, in a way, since Gilgamesh, among others, was said to be one of her sons. After his father's death, she outlived one mortal spouse after another until the end of the third dynasty of Ur. In her family album, should she have one, she would have eleven children with the deified demigod Lukalbanda and her own. Sumer's goddesses, Ninhasag, Bao, and Ninsun, had a hand in guiding its royals both in life and death, including the most challenging female mystery. We shall soon see that Inanna stroke Ishtar, the fourth prominent female activist, had her own agenda. Following the deluge, the Anunnaki were committed to making the earth habitable again after sharing it with mankind. Everything they did was driven by their vision of becoming interplanetary benefactors. 
Inurta created habitable areas by damming mountain passes and draining the water overflow in the Euphrates-Tigris plain because Enki Ptah created dams with sluices in the Nile Valley to drain floodwaters. Enki and Enlil likely oversaw feats of genetic domestication of plants and animals in a chamber of creation, which was probably situated on the great stone platform that the Yagigi used as a landing place. No matter how you view it, Anu did create earthlings as laborers in mines and fields. So, when he visited the planet around 4000 BC, he established several new cities, exactly where the pre-diluvial ones had been, and rebuilt pre-diluvial towns. A god, Nidaba, was in charge of writing, overseeing both regular and specialized tools, or Nin. Ashi, who was in the order of beer brewing, another of Sumer's firsts, and a significant part of the people's social lives, or Nin A, who superintended the land's water resources. Based on archaeological finds, many have written of how cities became cult centers for this or that particular deity, where priests provided the resident creators with the leisurely life of privileged overlords. Isaba is also known as Ninmul Mula, Lady of the Solar System, an astronomer whose job included providing celestial orientation for new temples in Sumer and Egypt, where she was worshipped as Sesheta. Nanshe, another female deity, is the goddess who determines New Year's Day. With the addition of the traditional medical services provided by the group of Suds, one who gives succor, arrived with Ninma, the services overseen by the goddesses encompass every aspect of civilized life. The expansion of the role of goddesses in the affairs and hierarchy of the Anunnaki is expressed graphically in a sacred Hittite site called Yazilikaya in central Turkey, where two equal groups of male gods and female goddesses are carved on rock faces as they make their way toward each other. The actual power and authority that the second and third generations of Anunnaki wielded on Earth led to an increasing feminization in relations between Anunnaki and Earthlings. The nurse Sud was renamed Nin Lil when she became Enlil's spouse. Her title as Lady of the Command did not make her a commanding leader. The spouse of Enki, Domkina, was renamed Ninki, Lady of the Earth, when he became Enki, but she never became Mistress of the Earth. While Ningal had official portraits of equal status with Enlil's earthborn son, Nanar Sin, she had no known authority or powers. Ereshkigal and Inanna, daughters of Nanar Sin and Ningal, differed from goddesses born on Earth. As soon as Inanna was made divine head of Arata, she demanded that it be given full status as the third region. Marduk was capable of choosing kings and ordering them. When Marduk killed her bridegroom, Dumuzi, she launched and led an intercontinental war. Ereshkigal was crucial to scientific observations regarding the deluge and, in later times, the determination of the zodiacal ages. In exchange for her disdain for marrying Enki's balding and limping son, Mergal, Ereshkigal was promised to become mistress of the lower world, the southern tip of Africa. Text after text describes Ereshkigal's ruthless decision to wield the resulting power, 
The issue of demigods was one of the key areas where all these changes manifested themselves. The Sumerian civilization, which began some 6,000 years ago, laid the foundations for all of what we call civilization today. As a rule, it resulted in growth, technological advancements, and prosperity. As a king, Lugar, big man, took on the role of administrator, promulgator of laws, dispenser of justice, builder of roads and canals, and maintainer of relations with other centers. The best Lugar could only be akin to the demigods who existed before the deluge, and afterwards too, because they were endowed, in fact or by assumption, with greater intelligence, physical strength, and longevity than the average earthling. Demigods were the best choice to serve as the bridge between gods and mortals, mainly when the king also served as the high priest authorized to approach the god. However, where would these demigods come from in post-diluvial times? From various texts, we can deduce that they were made to order with a few exceptions, but the Sumerian king list does not directly mention the demigod status of the kings who made up the first dynasty of Kish, the one that began post-diluvial kingship under Ninurta. In the same way as king list, we have focused on Etana and his legendary spaceships, concluding that his reign length, 1,560 years, and eligibility for space visits to Nibiru contribute to his demigod status, which is confirmed by the fact that Etana was of the same pure seed as Adatha. The names of some later Kish kings, such as Enmenuna, 660 years, and Enmebaragesi, 900 years, suggest the presence of demigods in between the non-divine successors. After the Enlil group and Ninurta listings in Tablet 1 of the Great God List, 14 names start with D. Lugol, Divine, Lugol Gishta, Divine, Lugol Zaru, etc. In Kish, these individuals were either not known as kings or had other epithet names. It is unknown otherwise, but they are demigods who possess their Dingir determinative. There is a significant change in demigodness where data is provided. Demigodness resulted from the pure seed of a male parent in the pre-diluvial era and for some time afterward. The accession of Mesalim, also written Mesilim, a name whose significance we will examine soon, to the throne of Kish, was a significant change. This telltale inscription can be seen on the silver case discovered among the artifacts. Misalim, King of Kish, beloved son of Dean in Because the king proved correct by his other inscriptions, would not have dared present the case to the goddess if it were not true. A birth involving Ninhasag as the mother must be taken into account despite her advanced age. This could even include artificial insemination, as was claimed in another instance in which Ninhasag was involved. By writing an inscription regarding a king named Eonatum in the city of Lagash, whose patron god was Ninurta, here we named Ningursa after the sacred precinct of the town, the Anunnaki are known to have established the demigod qualifications of a future king. During his reign, around 2450 BC, Eonatum gained fame as a fierce warrior whose feats were recorded in texts and on monuments 
establishing his legendary status. He claimed divine ancestry on a still lap, currently on display at the Louvre, through artificial insemination and birth involving several deities. Hi there, welcome back. And this is called the Sumerian Mysteries Documentary Noah and Gilgamesh Reveal Anunnaki Mythology. So, we go to the one hour. Noah, the first story. Biblical deluge stories are not original. Mm. Genetics lab is precisely where the genetic Eve study tracking mitochondrial DNA specified it should be. The genetic Eve study. Hmm. Coincidental, but it is not according to ancient cuneiform texts. This is according to Manifold, Boaz the Mysteries YouTube channel was ruled by twelve divine rulers for one thousand five hundred and seventy years. Thoth, also a son of Enki, was the first god of the second dynasty. Egypt was ruled for three thousand six hundred and fifty years by thirty Delhi gods. Scholars believe the Pharaonic dynasty began around three thousand one hundred BC and lasted 350 years. It had its capital in Memphis, or Men-Nefer in Greek. Where did these deities come from? The Sumerian king's list Memphis. further complicates clues to the mystery. According to the records, some of the first kings of Sumer ruled for up to 48 Where the hell is Memphis? That is almost unimaginable. The deities worshipped in Mesopotamian temples taught all aspects of civilization to the Sumerians by the deities worshipped in Mesopotamian temples. Besides creating the zodiac, Sumerian deities knew the Earth's equinox orbital plane, tilt axis, and spherical shape. During the Middle Ages, Europe possessed less detailed knowledge than Sumer did. Despite this, Sumer and his surrounding region produced many of the first inventions and advanced achievements of civilizations, including mathematics, meteorology, and law codes. Various traditions describe Sin including those associated with Assyria Moon and the gosh. crescent moon symbol found on flags and mosques associated with Islam. The Sumerian goddess Inanna was also known as Hathor in Egypt, and her name is well known and memorialized in many temples, including the temple of Hathor, found in the wilderness of the deity Nanar-Sin. Mesopotamian people recognized Nanar-Sin as the moon god, and the Egyptian people had Inanna, also known as Hathor. The authors readily inscribed in baked clay the genealogy accounts of Nanar-Sin as the son of Emnus in the Sumerian records, and he was known as the moon god to the people of the ancient Middle East. History shows that Nanar-Sin had a large following in his cult centers, spread throughout southern Iraq to Syria, Turkey, and Iran. What is the meaning of Nanar-Sin? Nanar-Sin might be the deity that Muhammad encountered in the wilderness, a sacred center for the religion of Islam. The Kaaba stone in Mecca, Saudi Arabia, was initially dedicated to the moon god called Allah there. The mere act of replacing one proper noun results in replacing another, especially with a deity's name. A new epithet replaces the old one. Comparisons between the Sumerian storm god Enlil in Lamentations of Ur and the god of vengeance in the Old Testament prove this. happened
Samaria with at least one of the gods of the Old Testament. Better known gods were worshipped elsewhere in the region, like Enki, Aka Aharu Mazda, as he was known as the god of light and wisdom. Allah replaced Ahura Mazda, aka Nana Sin, when Arab conquerors overthrew the Persians in 633 BCE, headquartered at their spectacular capital at Persepolis. In 644 BCE, the Arabs invaded and caused the Zoroastrian faith to decline. Egyptian and Sumerian cultures frequently subsumed names and epithets to solidify power and authority. Several names were merged into a single name, tailor-made to fit the worshipping subject's culture and language. The purpose was probably to facilitate referring to rivals and aggregating data during convenient times. Considering that what one culture terms a deity, another culture terms another name, the idea of an Anunnaki myth takes on more significance especially if the name is traceable across cultures. Likewise, the authority of political and religious beliefs in a society is determined by the ruling forces that select the purveyor of truth in history. According to the ruling party or superpower, religious truth originates from subordinated cultures, classified as pagan or occult. The winner's beliefs and what others believe is politely referred to as myths rather than as the politically incorrect label of the lie. The armies of Earth's generals have gathered once again in the Middle East, be it truth or fiction, dogma or doctrine. In the Anunnaki Gods trilogy by Zechariah Sitchin, Enlil and Enki and their offspring are described as having battled. Could this explain the current conflicts involving Iran, Iraq, Syria and Israel? Yeah. Will Enki's offspring disturb the destructive plan of his arch-rival Enlil, Zeus to the Greeks, and his warmonger son, Ninurta, Apollo to the Greeks. Jesus is rejected as the Messiah because he was the offspring of Enki, Jehovah's rival. This is the term A-N. Sumerologists interpret Una, K-I, means heaven to earth. The critical point is the connection between the term heaven and the planet of Anunnaki origin. Sitchin wrote about Niburu in 1976 as detailed in the Twelfth Planet. Additionally, according to Mesopotamian literature, such as the Epic of Gilgamesh, Anu, the father of the critical players, Enlil and Enki, served as head of the Onaki Council of Twelve. Ni, Bi, Ru may be constructed from the digital cuneiform script using three syllables. Sent from Anu to the earth, when Enlil met Ziusudra on Mount Ararat, he called his race Anuna. Therefore, Anua is an alternative spelling of Anuna. Similarly, as shown in the previous example of Nibiru, the cuneiform script is assigned a unique set of uniform hexadecimal codes. It is imperative to look at the planet Nibiru with the word heaven, as used in the Bible when re-examining prayers like Our Father who art in heaven, which sheds new light on the Father in heaven, namely Anu. So the prayer had to originate among his descendants on earth, Enlil, Enki, Ninma, or Ninasag. Why did the Anunnaki leave Nibiru to come to earth? Nibiru orbits the Sun in an elliptical retrograde orbit, 3,600 years beyond Pluto. According to maps found in Anunnaki lands and reports from the IRAS Naval Observatory, Sumerians lived on a brown dwarf in Nibiru. Mount Graham's intense Catholic focus uses the Lucifer scope to watch for Nibiru's arrival. Nibiru has already arrived. Why would an advanced civilization on Nibiru send a team of scientists to Earth? Political struggles for power were ongoing, 
and environmental pressures attracted the attention of the ruling council of Nibiru. Brown dwarfs do not receive enough solar radiation to maintain a habitable surface temperature as the Earth does, given its optimal distance from the Sun. Nibiru's atmosphere was created artificially, or by gases and steam released by its geothermal heat. A planet in its outer orbit is frequently exposed to shallow levels of direct solar radiation. During the close perigree, the atmosphere receives the most significant radiation dose. Sitchin's published history timeline states that approximately 450,000 years ago, life on Nibiru faced extinction because of a deteriorating atmosphere and radiation exposure. The situation was dire during Nibiru's close perigree with the sun. In Nibiru, Anu wrests control of the kingship from the unjust ruler Alalu, which led to his exile. Alalu escapes in a spacecraft and discovers gold on Earth in anticipation of his exile sentence. During Alalu's veiled attempt to save Nibiru's atmosphere, he uses his precious metal discovery as a peace offering. The ionized shield will shield the planet from solar radiation by dispersing ionized gold particles into the planet's degrading atmosphere. Enki, Anu's scientifically-minded son, is dispatched to assess the chance of recovering Alalu's reported gold from Earth. Enki departed for Earth approximately 5,000 Earth years later, 455,000 years ago, noting that the Niburian year equals 3,600 Earth years. According to Sumerian records, the first city colonized by the Anunnaki was Eridu in the Persian Gulf headquarters, including the Sumerian Kuzla. Enki and a small group of support staff began prospecting for gold in the waters of the Gulf soon after arriving on Earth. Anu sends his younger son, Enlil, to help Enki speed up the gold recovery process. Enki and Enlil invited Anu to Earth to guide the arduous mining task, given the infrastructure required to cross rocks and process gold-laden ore. Enki moved the mining operation from the Persian Gulf to the Zambezi River in South Africa, where the ore was mined. Anu arrived on Earth approximately 450,000 to 360,000 years ago, and his son Enki informed him of the current status of gold mining on Earth. The brothers argued over which of them would take care of the mining operation in Africa and oversee the command headquarters in Mesopotamia, specifically Nippur. In the Atrahasis story, Anu, Enlil and Enki drew lots to determine which mission they would pursue separately, creating a space between the two half-brothers that were often at odds. According to Sumerian accounts, Enki was Anu and Antu's firstborn son, and Enlil was the rightful heir. According to Niburian inheritance rules, the rightful heir is the male's child and half-sister. The Anunnaki did this based on their scientific knowledge. It is important to note that the female contribution to the genetic material includes mitochondrial DNA that the male contribution does not, which predisposes the genetic bloodline toward maternal descent. Enlil governed the Mesopotamian region, where Terra and his son Abram would ultimately serve him in the temple at Ur. The Indus Valley region was given to Anu's favorite granddaughter, Inanna, while the Anunnaki kept the Sinai Peninsula. To restore Niburian's degenerating atmosphere, Enki was sent to Abzu, Africa, to speed up the gold mining operation. Enki returned to Nibiru to run the kingdom. In 3760 BCE, the division took place and was completed. Ninhasag, Enki's half-sister and a medical officer, traveled to Earth approximately 415,000 years ago and established a medical clinic at Shurupak. Niburian astronauts needed medical support during their space travels. The Anunnaki complained about aging effects that were not noticeable on Nibiru. On Earth, they experienced faster circuits than Nibiru, which had a much slower circuit, 3,600 years. Sumeria became home to several cities, adding to the Eridu built by Enki upon his arrival.
The mining operation and subsequent ore processing were carried out of these cities, and the infrastructure needed to stay in touch with Nibiru. Ancient astronauts' historical event is contextual to the account's background information. The Anunnaki Council of Twelve met approximately 300,000 years ago in the southern African domain of Enki to discuss how to increase gold production rates. Several subservient workers were brought to earth by the higher-ranking members of the Anunnaki Council, supposedly Enki himself. Even though they were called working-class agents, they were highly advanced compared to humans. Atrahasis refers to the miners as Ijijai, but the Lost Book of Enoch calls them Watchers. Ijijai were assigned labor-intensive tasks, including dredging rivers, digging and constructing aqueducts, building cities, and mining gold ore in southern Africa. During their alien deployment to Earth, they were not provided with female companions, measured in Iberian orbit lengths as 3,600 Earth years. Ryan Morhen translated the first tablet from the Atrahasis, the old Babylonian version. Atrahasis, tablet number one. When the gods did the work and bore the burden, the load was too heavy. The work is too challenging, the trouble too great. Ijigai was made to carry a sevenfold workload by the mighty Anunnaki. Their father Anu was the king, their counselor, warrior Elil, Chamberlain Ninurta, the canal controller, Anuji. As soon as they gained Anunnaki lands, they, after casting lots, the gods decided. Anu ascended into the sky. Elil also took the earth for his people. Enil also took the bolt that bars the sea. Enki was assigned a too far-sighted task after Anu ascended to the sky. The gods of the Yaspu descended below, the Anunnaki of the skies. The workload was put in Ijigai. Ijigai dug canals. The Ijigai dug out canals, the lifelines of the land clear the channels. Clearing the land's lifelines, the channels was necessary. The gods dug the Tigris riverbed. Then the Euphrates were dug up settling down in the depths. The Apsu of the Anunnaki, inside it raised its highest point of all the mountains. They carried the excess burden for 3,600 years. Arduous work, night and day. Grumbling and blaming each other, they groaned. They groaned under the weight of the excavated soil. I would like to engage the Chamberlain. Get him to relieve us of our tedious work as well. The Ujigai, summarizing the key points of the first tablet, surround Enlil's encampment and demand to be relieved of their excessive workload. On Nibiru, Enlil and Enki's father, Anu, are summoned for advice and counsel. Enki is also invited to help find a solution to the unrest in the mines. The Ijigai gold miners are temporarily appeased with promises of work relief. As a replacement for the Ijigai gold diggers, Enki and Nainhasag, his half-sister, design a genetically engineered primitive worker we will introduce the reader to evidence that supports Anunnaki's presence on Earth. Anunnaki evidence on Earth. Are there any physical signs the Anunnaki were here on Earth? The categories of evidence examined include astrological, technical, documentary and biological evidence. On the Enuma Elish clay tablets displayed at the University of Pennsylvania Museum, the Sumerian creation tale is represented as an allegory of celestial warriors whose skirmishes and exploits led to the planets of their hosts forming circuits around the sun. In the Babylonian version, cuneiform inscribed clay tablets contain the tale approximately between 1936 and 1901 BCE. Approximately 2000 BCE was the height of Marduk's reign, according to Sumerian records, the first son of Enki and the national deity of Babylon. The creation tale of Nibiru is said to have existed in an older version, in which Nibiru was named the homeworld. 
Marduk replaced Nibiru as the home world in OBV. There are exceptions to the accurate representation of planet names and their orbital distances from the sun. The Babylonian creation accounts reveals an advanced knowledge of our solar system, which was only recently confirmed by modern science. We only now reaching the point where we can validate the Babylonian epic of creation based on current scientific knowledge. The Sumerian records refer to ten planets, compared to our understanding and acceptance of only nine today. Instead of nine, there are ten planets in the sun and moons of ten. Below, I summarize the epic of creation. Mercury and the sun conspire to destroy Tiamat at the story's start. Mercury is shielded from the radiation of the sun when Enki learns of the plot. Mercury is put to sleep by Enki, as is the sun. Mercury is in a sleepless daze. Enki, another name for Ear, unfastened his belt, removed his crown, took off his radiance mantle, and put it on himself. This means Mercury's orbit has temporarily been altered because of the solar radiation from the sun, as Enki's planet is Neptune. For 900 years, Nibiru rested on top of the sun, captured in the sun's orbit. This was during the reign of Enlil. Solar radiation affects Ea, Damkina, and their firstborn son, Marduk. As the progeny of the high-ranking Anunnaki council members, Marduk establishes his right to be born with this account. Tarsus, Pisces, and Capricorn are signs of the zodiac in the heavens. Earth's moon, Kingwa, held the tablet of destiny, which was aligned with Tiamat. In response to Tiamat's fury, stirred by the sun, Neptune turns back and reports to Anshar, Saturn. As a result, Tiamat veers off its orbital path. Marduk, Nibiru, volunteers to help disband Tiamat's forces. Nibiru's orbit captures a constellation of planets, stars, and remnants of Tiamat. Saturn's gravitational pull pulls Nibiru into its orbit, providing a calming effect. Mercury and Venus are ancestors of Saturn, which is alluded to by sending a satellite or moon from Saturn to Mercury and Venus. Inhalu Wind is a whirlwind that releases seven winds against Tiamat. An asteroid, Arrow, strikes Tiamat, spitting it open. The result is the destruction of Kingra. One half of Tiamat's mass is trampled, sending it to the roof of the sky, drawing a thunderbolt across it and a guard to hold it in place. The water was arranged so that it coagulated into an ocean. After correcting Nibiru's course, the location was affixed to the stands of Enlil, planetary affiliation Jupiter, zodiac symbol Taurus, and Enki, zodiac affiliation Pisces, planetary affiliation Neptune. Formerly, the Earth's moon belonged to Tiamat. The reader should read the Enuma Elish in its original form to understand the detailed creation epic. According to this allegory, at the point of creation in our solar system, Tiamat, Uranus, had an established orbit between Mars and Jupiter. Earth had not yet been created. The origins of Nibiru have been the subject of various hypotheses regarding its capture in our solar system's orbit. As a result, the battle for the orbital position began. As Nibiru entered its orbit around the Sun, passing the outer planets, introduced gravitational forces that tilted Uranus. Pluto was dislodged from its orbit around Saturn by these forces, promoting it to planethood before it was demoted. On its path to solar perigree, one of Nibiru's satellites strikes Tiamat, and on its following orbital path, Nibiru hits Tiamat directly. A large portion of Tiamat broke off to become the Earth, with the remnant debris becoming the asteroid belt, currently positioned between Mars and Jupiter. When the Earth was in its present orbit, it congealed into a solid planet, capturing Nibiru's moon as its own. The Anunnaki creation account, read every spring in Babylon, seems to corroborate 
to modern scientific analysis of Earth's rifts in the Pacific and its colossal moon. It is an accidental panspermia instead of the one proposed. According to him, intelligent beings intentionally seeded planet Earth with alien life forms. The seeds of life could also have been transferred to Earth by an impact from Nibiru. Another planet in our solar system is the Anunnaki's home planet of oh Nibiru, God. whose apogee oh. is beyond Pluto. In a 3,600-year retrograde orbit around the sun, Dr. Robert S. Harrington, the former chief of the U.S. Naval Observatory, Pluto and its moon Charon were discovered by Tombaugh <laughs> oh in 1930 God. and 1978, respectively. IRAS, an infrared astronomical satellite, was launched in 1983 in response to wobbles in the orbits of Uranus and Neptune. Scientists used the satellite to seek the planet, suspected of causing the wobbles. Researchers concluded that an object four times the size of our planet had been detected by the IRAS. In 1992, Harrington and Van Flandern of the Naval Observatory published a newspaper article. They used all the information available. According to their observations, they believe a tenth planet has been discovered in our solar system. This planet is called an intruder planet. Dr. Harrington and Zakaria Sitchin, both familiar with Sitchin's writings about a tenth planet, met to correlate IRAS's findings with the Enuma Elish, an ancient Babylonian creation epic. According to the IRAS, other space probes like Pioneer 10 and Pioneer 11, Harrington agreed with Sitchin that Nibiru was. Every 3,600 years, a planet as immense as Nibiru would pass between Mars and Jupiter. Because of Nibiru's passage, pole shifts and reversals have occurred, causing changes in Earth's precession. Additionally, the perihelion may be responsible for potentially dangerous meteors and debris carried by asteroids. Building evidence and technology. It is easy to find unusual artifacts around the world, especially those that seem to contradict the known capabilities of the civilization. Hieroglyphs found in the Egyptian temple of Abydos depict rockets, airplanes, submarines, and even an advanced helicopter similar to the United States AH-64 Apache helicopter. Baalbek, Lebanon, has the trilithium stones. For building materials, why choose the most challenging one? Large blocks of stones weighing a thousand tons or more. Likely they did so because they could, and it was easy for them. Among fascinating discoveries was the temple of Hathor atop the biblical Mount Sinai. The temple contained a strange substance created by smelting gold. This find was the rediscovery of monoatomic gold by David Hudson. The massive stone blocks used in temple construction may have been moved using these anti-gravity superconductors. Furthermore, there is evidence that the Anunnaki of a chosen bloodline consumed the monoatomic gold as conical bread cakes depicted on Hathor's temple walls. The short orbital cycles on Earth damaged the Anunnaki DNA. Specifically, the telomeres were damaged by proximity to the sun. Because of the multi-path annealing process applied to the smelting gold, ingestion of monoatomic gold acts to light up the human energy body and serve as a bridge to other dimensions. Antimony and other ingredients were added to the gold to turn it into a white powder and cause it to lose mass. Besides model airplanes, incredible solar and lunar temples aligned to solstices and equinoxes along with tens of thousands of Anunnaki tablets and written accounts of advanced beings teaching civilizing technology for indigenous people. There is overwhelming evidence that the Anunnaki were here on Earth. Anunnaki astronauts left behind impressive remnants in ancient Mesopotamian cities such as Eridu, Babylon and Uruk, where Gilgamesh reigned. The following evidence is listed. 
Bulbac defies current engineering methods. Gold mines carbon dated to the period of Enki was said to have been in Africa approximately 200,000 years ago. Sumerian baked clay tablets describe the Anunnaki, their mission and personalities. At the University of Pennsylvania Museum, Numa Elish has a very sophisticated and technically accurate description of celestial collisions. It describes our current solar system's composition. The Romans knew about Pluto in this depiction, but it took NASA until the 1980s to identify it positively. What made them realize this? In 1973, the University of Chicago photographed the city of Eridu with its baked bricks protruding from the sands of the Iraqi desert. The Sumerian king's list confirms the city and king. In the early 1850s, we understood the reality of those living in the ancient Middle East. Archaeological digs in Mesopotamia have brought the sophistication of the Sumerians to the world's attention. Anunnaki's records of marriage, birth, and legal contracts were mixed with evidence of Anunnaki's history. Sumerian mythological entities were not invented, but found in those records that the Sumerians knew that the Anunnaki astronauts were not from Earth and were elevated to godhood in the various cities where they lived and built ziggurat temples. In the Sumer civilization, the aliens were flesh and blood who interacted with the people and their underlying genetic creation. In Nineveh, Ashurbanipal's library was burned, preserving many clay tablets for antiquity. Sipar's Anunnaki spaceport recently found a sealed 9x6-foot room. Anunnaki's unbroken record of Earth's journey is detailed in nearly 400 chronologically ordered clay tablets within the sealed chamber. During his time at Sitchin, Sumerian records of the Anunnaki were made public. The information has only recently become accepted. Tablets have now been digitized to increase speed and accuracy. Atrahasis texts and Sumerian records point to Anunnaki gold mines in South Africa. Anunnaki gold was mined in Africa. According to the Sumerian Atrahasis document, carbon dating has proved that those ancient mines may have been used by 200,000-year-old miners related to our biological ancestors. Evidence based on biological genetics. Genetic evidence suggests that the Anunnaki developed primitive workers in South Africa through a gold mine purchased by Anglo-American PLC, a mining corporation. Shimti, Enki's genetics lab, is precisely where the genetic Eve study tracking mitochondrial DNA specified it should be. The genetic Eve study also tracked the mutation of the Y chromosome, leading to the same area and time frame as the genetic Adam study. The Atrahasis describes how animal DNA was mixed with Anunnaki DNA until the ultimate solution for Homo sapiens. The Anunnaki's intelligence claimed that humanity had received accounts of our technological advances leading to advanced space travel after only 200,000 years of evolution. This contradicts how tool improvement iteratively occurred over millions of years instead of rapid paradigm shifts like the Sumerians. Enki, the scientist, the creator of man. Almost 432,000 years ago, the Ijigai colonized the Earth with Enki. Later, the Ijigai were accompanied by lower echelon workers dedicated to gold ore mining. With the mining operations in South Africa, the Anunnaki were in a difficult position. The mining operation was moved to Abzu, Africa, along the Zambezi River after landing in the Persian Gulf, building Eridu, and failing to glean adequate quantities of gold from the ocean. After working in the mines for long periods under what seemed to be harsh conditions, the miners rebelled around Enlil's fortress and demanded relief. According to the account, 
The miners worked for 3,600 years. One Shah coincidentally equals one Liberian solar year before retiring. Atrahasis, tablet number one. Elil, let us go together. Allah, the counselor of gods, made his voice heard from the throne. Additionally, he spoke to the gods of his brothers. Welcome, let us carry Elil with us. From his dwelling, the counselor of gods, the warrior, cry battle. His speech caused the gods to set fire to their tools. Their bolts for fire, their weapons for the god of fire. The flare-ups began. As they approached the gate of warrior Elis's dwelling, it was night, the middle watch. The house was surrounded by Nusku and Kalkal, Enlil's guards, alerted him to the rabble surrounding his house. Enlil brought weapons to his dwelling when he discovered the Ijigai miners were surrounding him. Enlil's vizier, Nusku, ordered the miners to surrender. His father, Anu, advised him to fetch Enki and seek counsel from him. Anu and Enki had an impromptu council meeting to discuss what to do about the revolting lower echelons of the Anunnaki. Anu, Lord of the Sky, and Enki, Lord of the Apsu, appear on the Atrahasis tablet. These are the most powerful Anunnaki. Elil spoke up. She got up, and the case moved along. As she spoke to the mighty gods, Have they risen against me? Shall I engage in battle? Anu spoke to Elil, saying, Let Nusku go out. Get the word from Ijigai who have surrounded your door. Nusku, fully armed, approached the mob and asked on behalf of Anu, Enki, Enlil, and the Anuji, who was governor, and what the problem was. The Anarchy of the Miners instructed Nusku to tell Enlil, Every single god has declared war. We have stopped digging. We are suffering under an excessive load. Hearing Nusku's issue on behalf of the fed-up miners, Enlil wept and then turned to his father Anu and asked that one miner be made an example of by being fired publicly. Anu raised his voice. He also asked his brothers, what are we complaining about? Their work was indeed too strenuous, their trouble was too great. The earth resounded every day. We kept hearing the warning signal. It was loud enough. Why are we blaming them? Enki, here, asked his brother's gods. The work was too strenuous, the trouble was too much. A womb goddess, Belet Ili, is present. Let her create primeval man. He must bear the yoke. To bear the work of Elil, Beret Ili, the womb goddess, is present. Let the womb goddess bear offspring, and let man bear the work of the gods. Nintu, a.k.a. Belet Ili, spoke to the most powerful gods and made her voice heard. Making him is not appropriate for me. Enki makes everything pure through his work. I will use the clay he gives me. Enki addressed the gods and made his voice heard. I will wash on the first, seventh, and fifteenth of each month. Thus, one god should be slaughtered. In addition, the gods can be purified by immersion. Nintu must mix clay. He was flesh and blood. He was also a god and a human king. It will be mixed with clay. I want to hear the drumbeat forever. Let God create a ghost from his flesh and proclaim it to be his living sign. Furthermore, let the ghost exist so that the slain God will never be forgotten. Yes, 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 said the assembly. The powerful Anunnaki assigns the fates. As a result, the Anunnaki council, led by Anu, decides that Enki and Nintu, the medical officer, also known as Nainhasag, should develop a primitive worker to replace the rebellious Ijigai miners. Now crowned as mistress of all gods, Nintu addressed the Anunnaki council after eventual success. Multiple genetic experiments, failures and mishaps are recounted in length in the Atrahasis. Even the mother of humans has to submit a TPS report 
to justify her accomplishment to her boss. I did a great job. I completed the work you ordered from me. By destroying his intelligence, you have slaughtered a god. Thanks to me, you no longer have to do the tedious work. Man has been subjected to your will. Genetic manipulation is understood in modern civilized societies, but it is so common that it is not a big deal. It is possible that the Anunnaki, who lived at least 450,000 years before our civilization and had conquered space travel, could do in vitro fertilization. The Atrahasis account says they certainly could. This is a severe challenge to the idea of man as a creator. It makes me wonder if the biological scientist of our century performs any different functions than Enki did in his African laboratory. Observe the Anunnaki concept of transferring a spirit from a sacrificed being to another. This is like stories of underworld energy, soul maintenance. According to the Enuma Elish creation story, the collision between Nibiru and Tiamat, which became the Earth, could have contaminated the Earth with the seeds of life from Nibiru. According to Enki's writings, those seeds of life came from the creator of all. So even the Ijigai, who were sometimes called Enunaki, had a concept above a god. Based on Nibiru's evolutionary process, Enki regarded the bipedal hominids found on the African plains as a species. As a result, the evolutionary boost provided to early hominids was not a permanent change, but a temporal head start. Humanity is indebted to a creator of all for the seeds of life. The genetic seed of Enki was the archetypal Adapa, the first human to carry the Anunnaki mark. A hybrid Anunnaki genes contain the ancient astronaut identity and intelligence. Given the exact age of the Atrahasis tablets, dated to 1700 BCE, an important point is brought to the reader's attention. Having attempted to eliminate all references to the other members of the Anunnaki Council in the Torah narrative, especially any reference to Enki, the Enlilite perspective describes the background scene of a historical biblical flood. The Sumerian flood account was copied and changed to create the Genesis account. Hebrew priests held captive in Babylon wrote the Genesis account. During their captivity, they learned the truth about the biblical flood. Enlil, however, became the monotheistic ancient astronaut god they worshipped. They were terrified of Enlil's wrath, after all. The sons of God saw the beauty of the daughters of men as the number of men increased on earth. The sons of God, who could choose whom to marry. The Lord replied, My spirit will not contend with man forever, because he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. In those days and afterward, when the sons of God married the daughters of men and had children with them, the Nephilim was on earth. Their renown was legendary. Genesis refers to the destructive flood caused by a different catalyst than the Atrahasis account. The Sumerian account describes Enlil as furious at human noise and wanting to silence them. According to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 8, the Nephilim took human wives, potentially breaking a galactic law by marrying a genetically enslaved person. Enlil ignores this and bases the extinction of humankind on how evil men were. Man's wickedness on earth had become so severe that the Lord saw that every thought in man's heart was evil all the time. Wow. Having created man on earth, the Lord was grieved. His heart was filled with pain. Therefore the Lord said, I will wipe humanity from the face of the earth, whom I have created. The Genesis account and the Atrahasis account can be compared. A casual observer should readily detect two bald-faced lies. In Genesis 6-5, Enlil does not have created humankind. 
according to the Atrahasis, Enki and Ninma were solely responsible, predating the Genesis account by 1,700 years. Are humankind's thoughts continually evil, including when they toil in the mines for Enlil's gold ore? The genuine complaint in the Atrahasis account was that humankind was noisy and could not sleep. Was it too much trouble, or were the ideas of his arch-rival brother's prolific offspring rising against his authority more likely than the facts? Using terminology in Genesis 6-5 suggests that the biblical ghostwriter Enlil was not a trained scientist. The Anunnaki knowledge of good and evil was present in Sumeria, the Eden, and was used by the Anunnaki. This plant had a transformative effect at the DNA level, changing human consciousness. Enlil tells Adapa in the Garden of Eden that if he eats it, he will die. This lie is countered by Enki, who assures Adapa that he will not die, but become one of us, one god. Enki tells the truth and is ostracized and symbolized as a snake, whereas Enlil lies and proclaims himself to be god. Enki's stated outcome of Adam not dying but realizing his nakedness proves a lie. Enlil did not want the seed of the knowledge regarding good and evil consumed for this very reason. His view was that access to higher consciousness should not be controlled. Unexpected genocidal acts followed Enlil's genocidal actions. According to the first man breeding programs, humans became prolific and loud after 600 years. Less than 600 years have passed since 600. Additionally, the country became too large, the people too many. There was much noise in the country. Elil was forced to listen to their clamor as God grew restless. In his address to the gods, he said, There is too much human noise. I am losing sleep over it. Shuruku disease shall break out. This seems to be the beginning of the all-out conflict between Enki and Enlil. Enki created humanity with the aid of Nainhasag, freeing the gods from the toil of the African gold mines he promised. He would be offended if he heard his half-brother, Enlil, ordered the release of a disease on the populace, whose obvious intent was to wipe out the source of the noise, namely humanity. The book will explore other deep-seated sources of conflict between the two. They included birthright, inheritance, and official rank. The Bible corroborates the timeline from the creation of the Adapa to where Enlil wanted to end them, namely 600 years later. Noah was around this age at the time of the flood. The floodgates of the heavens were opened on that day, in the 600th year of Noah's life. There were 40 days and nights of rain. Atrahasis contradicts the 40-day continuous rain in the Sumerian account, stating only seven days. Also interesting is the age shown in Genesis 5 from Adam to Noah. Mahalalel's age is 895 years, and Jared's age is 962 years. Would it be possible that the ages were just exaggerated, or could the Anunnaki bloodline, in a more pure state, before dilution, after generational mixing with humanity, account for the exceptional ages noted? It is also worth noting that the Anunnaki had a genetic age constraint on their primitive workers. Therefore, they had the intelligence to follow instructions in the mines and a short lifespan to prevent overpopulation. Humankind was given a maximum lifespan of 120 years in Genesis 6.3. The Atrahasis account agrees with this. The oldest person recorded in history was Miss Jean Calmont, a Frenchwoman who lived from 21st February 1875 to 4th August 1997. She was 132 years and 184 days old. It appears she broke the Anunnaki genetic mold by a small amount, namely two years and 164 days. 
Despite the multitudes of species that have lived on Earth, the 120-year genetic design target appears to have worked well. Atrahasis establishes a close relationship between Atrahasis and the mighty god Enki near the end. According to the genealogy in the Lost Book of Enoch, Atrahasis was the son of Enki and Batanash, the wife of Lamech in biblical times. Atrahasis, Enki's son, coordinates a rebellion among humankind, instructing it on how to perform a peaceful protest and shame the powers, Enlil, into ceasing the punishment by Surupu disease, whatever it was. Enki's intercession has worked, much to Enlil's dismay, as he clenches his jaws to prepare for the next attack on human fodder. Enlil orders a revolutionary, genocidal tactic. Elil, Enlil, addressed the most powerful gods. I am losing sleep over humankind's noise. I am losing sleep over their racket. Stop supplying food to the people. Let the vegetation be too scarce to satisfy their hunger. Adad should wipe away his rain. Iskur Adad is Enlil's son. Let no flood water flow from the springs below. Let the wind sweep, strip the ground bare, and let the clouds gather, but no rain. Nisaba should stop up her bosom if the field yielded a diminished harvest. They will never be happy. In the same way, Enki runs intercession on behalf of the people, teaching them how to manage the ill will of his half-brother, Enlil. Enki demands the people resist by not praying to their goddess and shaming Iskur Adad to prevent rain on the crops. Enki's intercession again works, but only temporarily. In his multi-pronged assault on humanity, Enlil persists. He sends other diseases to silence them. Humanity was afflicted with sickness, headaches, shirupu, and asaku diseases. Nisaba turned away from her breast as the yield of the field decreased, as the dark fields turned white, as the broad countryside bred alkali, the earth clamped down her teats. Nothing sprouted, no grain grew. A baby could not get out of the womb because it was too tight. The people were inflicted with asaku. By the end of the second year, the storehouse was empty. During the third year, the storehouse was still empty. Is this correct? Starvation changed the looks of the people. After the fourth year, their well-set shoulders slouched, their upright shoulders bowed. Often people walked out in public, hunched over. As the fifth year approached, a daughter would watch her mother come in. Even a mother would not open her door to her eldest. The eldest daughter would watch the scales at the sale of her mother. When her daughter turned six, a mother would watch the scales at the sale of her daughter. They served Holy up a daughter shit. as food. They served up a son. Oh Atrahasis again seeks his lord Enki to protect himself and what is left of humankind from the genocidal onslaught that Enlil has brought. This request for help once again leads to conflict between the two brothers. Enlil, unhappy with the destruction and disease he has brought to humanity, orders Enki to manufacture a flood to wipe out the remaining humans. But Enki refuses. The Anunnaki could manipulate the weather with technology, like harp, but it is not clear in these circumstances that the Anunnaki caused the flood. But by gravitational forces, wrought Nibiru's passing Earth, en route to a 3,600-year solar perigree. A tsunami generated by slipping ice sheets at the poles, potentially to wipe out Mesopotamia, was to be kept from man by Enlil. The Anunnaki caused the flood by using a flood weapon, or expecting its arrival based on perturbations in the heavens. But Enlil took credit for it to increase his perceived power to punish. The strange deeds and attitudes specified in the Atrahasis account of Enlil and his crimes against humanity should strike a chord with wrath and vengeance. 
Because Enki was concerned for his son, Atrahasis, in anticipation of a planned or accidental flood event, he changed the oath he was asked to swear to the Anunnaki Council, not to warn humans of the impending floods and disaster. Instead of warning Atrahasis directly, Enki oversees his speech to the wall of the reed hut, where his son has taken refuge. Atrahasis is instructed to build a boat. Listen to me constantly, wall. Reed hut, pay attention to everything I say. Demolish the house, build a boat. Save living things instead of possessions, your boat. Roof it like an apsu, so that the sun cannot see inside. Build upper and lower decks, and the tackle must be robust. <coughs> Bitumen is thick to provide strength. You will receive rain here. He filled the sand clock. The amount of sand needed for the flood was seven nights worth. As noted previously, it rained for 40 days in Genesis versus seven days in the Atrahasis. It looks like Enlil is trying to blame Enki for the flood symbolically. In order to achieve this, he changes the rain day's number to the same number of days assigned to Enki, i.e. 40. What? It would be uncharacteristic of the brothers to act in this manner. Either way, hmm. Atrahasis is the real nautical savior of humankind, the biblical Noah. King Shurupak was 600 years old and served as a medical center for Ninhasag. Nintu, Belithli, Mami, many names for her. She later became known as Isis in Egypt. Atrahasis recounted the tale people left behind would buy once he left their beloved city. According to him, Enki and Enlil were at odds, and since the city was in Enlil's region, Mesopotamia, it would be best to leave the region and go to Africa, Apsu, to find safety in Enki's domain. We can find a very detailed account of Noah's Ark on the tablets, complete with full-blown Sumerian details. According to many cultures, the Great Flood occurred at the end of the last Ice Age, approximately 11,000 BCE. With the aid of an Anunnaki pilot Enki had placed on board the vessel, Atrahasis landed on the highest mountain peak in the area, Mount Ararat, following the flood. The Anunnaki spotted Atrahasis's boat from their airborne craft, and the Anunnaki landed on Mount Ararat to investigate the matter further. Elil saw the boat and was furious with the Ijigai. The mighty Anuna agreed together on oath. No form of life should have escaped. How did anyone survive the catastrophe? Enki shouted to the mighty gods, I did it in defiance of you. I protected life by making sure it was preserved. Enki created humankind from his DNA and rebelled against his brother Enlil's genocidal order to wipe out the primitive workers, saving his son Atrahasis from the flood that wiped out the Mesopotamian civilization. Here is the story in black and white. Okay, baked clay to start with. Enki created humanity from his genes and rebelled against an order by his brother Enlil to wipe out the primitive workers saving his son, Atrahasis, from the massive flood that decimated the Sumerian civilization. Primitive Worker According to the Atrahasis, if the primitive workers received intelligence from one of the Ichigai, what would prevent the humans from exercising their intelligence, realizing that they were enslaved and revolting as their predecessors had? The Anunnaki designed primitive humans as enslaved people intending to control, manage them for mining and construction work stating in the Atrahasis that intelligence One is not making a robot with a limited command set, which creates a challenge for the creator. An entity with intelligence can gain a sense of self or a center of gravity instead. In the end, this will lead to rebellion and independence. The Anunnaki and the Ijigai were confronted with this dilemma, as the Anunnaki in charge needed general labor to build cities and mines. 
because of the Ijigai, we face the same issue on Earth as we do today. Their primitive consciousness was most likely instilled deliberately at a lower level than the Creator, effectively relegating them to being enslaved workers. Evolution never stops. The primitive worker eventually develops enough self-identity over time that probably have given the intelligence to handle more complex tasks, just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Enlil knew that self-consciousness was antithetical to slavery, so he realized Enki had plans to create a workforce like them, a symbol of power. As well as allowing for rapid population growth to meet labor needs, breeding capabilities ensured a productive workforce. Over time on Earth, the Ijigai enslaved people became conscious of themselves and revolted against their slave taskmasters, the Anunnaki elite, demanding a replacement slave workforce, eating Enki's primitive workers, anatomically modern humans. It took some time for this to happen. The ancient astronauts, who were less accustomed to Earth's shorter solar cycle, may have helped in finding their identity by the difference in time experienced by the Ijigai. Shars are equal to 3,600 years, according to the Ijigai. Lord Enki surely knew this, since he intended to jumpstart the evolutionary process that was already underway on Earth. Enki recognized that the seeds of life on Earth came from Nibiru, and Neanderthal humans were present on Earth already, which he mentioned finding in Africa and reporting to the Anunnaki Council. The Anunnaki Council approved the genetic intervention with the local Neanderthal species, since in their minds, that was a way to jumpstart the primitive earthlings to a higher state of evolution. Neanderthals to the primitive worker, no harm, no foul, right? Because of the dice roll between his brother Enlil and Enki over who would stay in Mesopotamia, Enki was assigned the African gold mining operation. Enki then established himself in the Abzu region of Africa to oversee the gold mining operations. The Anunnaki reportedly faced environmental and atmospheric threats on their planet as well. As a result, the mission to Earth to obtain gold for the anodized layer in the atmosphere was very urgent. Enlil was furious over the subversive tactics and knowledgeable beings that Enki had created and which Enki marveled at, just as Enki himself was. Enki must have outdone himself playing genetic god given his lustful reaction to the primitive workers. In Mesopotamia early on, Marduk brags to his son about finding beautiful earthlings bathing in a stream and their encounters with him. Marduk laughs and remarks on Enki's previous reputation with the opposite sex. Sarpanet, a mere mortal, was also irresistible to Marduk, who gave up his rights as a god on Nibiru to marry her. Enlil also led a raid on the primitive enslaved people, returning them to Eden. Enlil may not have appreciated Enki's genetic progress, but the enslaved people were helpful for labor needs. For security and control issues for primitive workers, Enki certainly had the bases covered because of the tension between the brothers. According to the initial records, there were also 600 Ijigai after they arrived on Earth. The idea of creating an indigenous workforce with a higher level of intelligence than even the Ijigai had certainly alarmed Enlil from a command and control standpoint. If the workers were to grow in number, how would he control them? To the small Anunnaki elite present, this would pose a revolutionary threat. Wouldn't a mob of angry miners be able to destroy it quickly? This information is provided to set the context in which Enki persuaded the council to create a primitive workforce. Security and control would be the primary concerns. Enki was probably always looking for ways to undermine his brother's facade, hinder his command effectiveness, and antagonize his brother and rightful heir, Commander Enlil. Given the advanced abilities the Anunnaki possessed genetically, 
one must consider what communication methods they had integrated into their primitive workers so they could be efficiently commanded and controlled. Communication methods were necessary to control large numbers of enslaved people. The commands were related to assigned group tasks, such as pulling a rope in unison. What would one do with a slave worker who suddenly stopped communicating? It would be too risky. Thoth is the son of Enki, the creator. He advocated for humankind to become sons of God through awakening their energy bodies, chakras, and consequent consciousness, which he designed to be sensitive to the various frequencies associated with the radial distance and frequencies caused by a spherical resonator, such as the Earth. Those who read the emerald tablets can get a sense of the advanced energy knowledge Thoth possessed. As evidenced by his staff, he was an expert geneticist, the Caduceus. A function of human consciousness connected to DNA was the knowledge of energy matter and the pineal gland. Noah, Gilgamesh, and eternal life. Gilgamesh's epic is the most extensive literary composition written in Arcadian cuneiform script. In the ancient world, King Gilgamesh is known for his famed quest for immortality, a quest that has become a worldwide recognizable theme. In present-day southern Iraq, the narration follows the heroic king of the Sumerian city of Uruk. The Anunnaki gods ordained kingship, the only form of early governorship in Mesopotamia. A king was an exemplary shepherd, maintaining order, military leadership, and security, and performing priestly functions such as creating laws and conducting large-scale building projects. He also served as the link between the gods and the people. In ancient times, kings were likely demigods, a hybrid mix of pure Niburian blood and the genetics diluted for the slave species Adapa. According to the Sumerian king's list, Lugalbanda, the shepherd king, ruled Uruk for 1,200 years. An ancient Sumerian text describes a romantic relationship between Lugalbanda and Ninsum, a full-blooded Anunnaki goddess. In Gilgamesh and Huwawa, the hero consistently says, under my mother, Ninsun, and my father, holy Lugalbanda. King Gilgamesh was therefore three-quarters pure Anunnaki blood. Gilgamesh may have been the king and father of Lugalbanda, but he was merely a human. Ninsun, as a full-blooded Anunnaki female, would contribute mitochondrial DNA to her offspring, making 344 Anunnaki. According to Niburian inheritance rules, the rightful heir will be born from the father and his half-sister, perpetuating the dominating effects of mitochondrial DNA. The table below depicts the first dynasty kings of Uruk. The lineage data shows Gilgamesh did not follow in direct succession after his father, Lugalbanda, even though he was king circa 2600 BCE and ruled for 126 years. He succeeded Dumuzi, a son of Enki. Unug was defeated and the throne was given to Urim, Ur. In the late second millennium BCE, Many tablets relating to the Gilgamesh epic were found throughout the Middle East. Some tablets were found in Megiddo, written in Arcadian, while others were in Imar, along the mid-Euphrates. There are versions in Arcadian, Hittite, and Hurrian, discussed in Hattusa, the capital of the Hittites in northern Anatolia. Nineveh was discovered in the 7th century during the Kassite kingship of Sennacherib. There is no record of the origin of the famous epic, but it presents the contemporary gods of Mesopotamia in the same way as the Atrahasis, including the members of the Anunnaki Council, Enlil, Enki, and Anu. During his reign as king, Gilgamesh knew humans created by Enki with a limited lifespan of only 120 years. For centuries, Gilgamesh's heroic and emotionally charged quest for eternal life appealed to the audiences in the entire region, just as it did to his Anunnaki predecessors. The sensitive king grieved over the loss of life and dreaded his death as a genetically defective individual. 
as evidenced by the long lives of the lucky king in Genesis 4 and the many deeds he performed in ancient Mesopotamia. Demigods like the lucky king probably lived much longer than 120 years. Anunnaki was partaking of life-prolonging starfire gold to mitigate the effects of the rapid solar cycles experienced on Earth to prevent the degradation of telomeres. Therefore, the Anunnaki appeared immortal or to have everlasting life. It does not appear that King Gilgamesh had access to the same life-prolonging luxury. Because of his diluted Anunnaki blood, Gilgamesh knew he would not have the same eternal lifespan as Ninsun, his mother. Gilgamesh yearns for eternal life. The perks of being king are many. Gilgamesh had access to otherwise forbidden knowledge kept by astronauts in his backyard of Uruk, which must have been tantalizing for him. Inanna and Anu both had temples in Uruk. Anunnaki guarded the MEs, which were reported to number 94 in total. The information stored on ME tablets likely contained details about genetics and related to what appeared to be eternal lifespans for the gods. From this information, ancient astronauts developed civilization a distant planet. Gilgamesh was well aware of the role genetics play in a long life, as evidenced by the longevity of the Anunnaki enshrined as gods and deified in Mesopotamia, and sought to obtain it for himself. Ziusudra, aka Atrahasis, Noah, and his family landed on Mount Ararat aboard the Ark, instructed by Enki, following the last apocalyptic deluge to hit Mesopotamia. As Enlil soared aloft with several other Anunnaki key figures surveying <coughs> flood damage, he spotted Ziusudra and his ark. He was furious that some humans had survived the catastrophe. The truth of his bloodline was revealed to Ziusudra later that evening while he conducted an offering at an impromptu altar he built on site. Ziusudra's father was Enki, saving him from the destructive deluge. Ziusudra, who was only 50% pure in his Anunnaki lineage, was given eternal life during that meeting with Enlil. It is not completely clear what transpired on the mountain, but according to the Anunnaki writings, most likely it involved a council decision to provide access to a specific plant of life for the transformed and newly renamed Anunnaki club member, Tnapishtim. Anu visits Adapa in heaven. A Niburian host offered the bread of life and elixir to the enslaved mortal Adapa when Dumuzi and Ningishzida led them to meet Anu in heaven, Nibiru, as part of the ritual encounter. Adapa refused the bread and the elixir, following Enki's instructions. More than likely, these concoctions restored the DNA of the Anunnaki, perpetuating the natural renewal process. Considering the rapid aging of the Anunnaki, who worked in Africa's mines for long periods, the renewed process appears to have been copied or re-engineered on Earth. Gilgamesh sought a plant that would produce the same life-extending <coughs> effects. After failing in what his attempt to meet the gods, who were seen taking off and landing rockets on the massive stone platforms at Baalbek, Lebanon, King Gilgamesh devised a plan to find Enki's son.
Gilgamesh could discover the secret given to him by Enlil atop Mount Ararat and achieve eternal life for himself if he could find the king of Shurupak, known as Ziusudra, to the Sumerians and Zeus. Noah to the readers of the canonical Bible. Ziusudra, aka Noah, was renamed Utnapishtim, following his changed longevity status and allowed into God's private club on Mount Ararat. Gilgamesh had 75% pure Anunnaki blood. Diusudra, however, only had 50%. Thus it seemed only fair that Ninsun's son, Gilgamesh, should be treated the same way. 